welcome to the second episode of the Fifth Quarter Podcast with me, David Elliott from Lanyon Group. We're brought to you once again this month with the support of Armagh City, Banbridge and Craig Avon Borough Council's Food Heartland. Again, we're going to be getting beneath the skin of Northern Ireland's agri-food industry, talking to the personalities that make it tick and finding out about the cutting-edge businesses that make it one of the most respected in the world. Don't forget, it's those innovations which we're most interested in the ideas, the added value, or indeed the fifth quarter, which gives those companies, large and small, the edge, hence the name of this podcast. This month, we're focusing on family businesses and the huge role they play in the agri-food sector here. There can be few local agri-food companies which didn't start off in a farmyard or as a kitchen business, pulling in family members as the order book started to fill up. Later, we'll be chatting to Susan Smith, a director for KPMG, on the challenges and opportunities which family businesses face on a day-to-day and longer-term basis. Then we're going to be catching up with a brilliant family-run business near Banbridge, Blackwell House, which is run by husband and wife team Joyce and Steve Brownless. But first, it's all about the mash. If you were to think of a Northern Ireland agri-food company which has built a business of true innovation, there really are few better examples than Mash Direct. The Cumber family business has taken commoditized products from its own fields and added value to them for a very hungry consumer. It has a fascinating story to tell and I caught up with director Tracy Hamilton to find out more. First of all, thanks so much for giving up your time this morning. I know you're incredibly busy uh, at this time of year. Um, it's, it's great to have somebody like you on this podcast because we really do try to talk about the innovation in the agri-food sector and a better example we couldn't ask for than MASH Direct. So first of all, can you give us a bit of a rundown of the MASH Direct business as it is today? Gosh, today, well, we're very much a family business. We're selling over 50 chilled side dishes under the MASH Direct label. And we supply into retail, food service and food manufacturers. And today we're selling the equivalent of one pack of MASH Direct um, every second in the UK and Ireland. And the brand has just grown the last year by 20%. So provenance, local, traceability are key keywords for the, the food industry at this moment. So, and we're not fast food, we're real food fast. That's a, that's a really nice way of putting it and, and real true ingredients growing locally and, and processed locally. Yes, we're, very, we're vertically integrated. We have, we have a family farm. So Martin, my husband, is a fifth generation farmer. So he has that enormous um, knowledge for all those gener- from all those generations passing on their, their skill set and knowledge. And uh, the, the location of the farm is really important. We're on, beside Strangford Loch, which, as you know, is one of the most beautiful places in County Down in Northern Ireland. And so it's a really, really good growing area and the soil quality is superb. But, you know, we very are focused on the crop rotation because we've got to keep the health of the soil because the health of the soil is obviously paramount to the quality of the vegetables that we're growing. And all the vegetables we are sourcing are little heritage varieties because the taste is absolutely paramount. Tell us how it started and, and you know, and, and how you've got to this 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 uh, stage, because uh, obviously the farm has been there for, for some time, but this is really a, a diversification of the farm. Yes, well, really, 2003, we were looking at the wonderful vegetables that we were growing and we were selling to the wholesale market. And we just were getting such a poor return. We thought, what on earth are we going to do to survive as a farm? And we looked at uh, converting our farm into a golf course. And uh, we're nearly relocating with, um, not golf course, but that 
fell through and then we were approached to create a, a rural village. Well, as you can imagine, there was uproar in the locality. But in the meantime, we were always advised, do what you're good at. And we thought we know we're really good at growing vegetables. And um, we were at a friend and neighbour's party in 2003 and Martin had a few glasses of whiskey. And he said, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to make mashed potato and champ. That's what we're going to do. So literally the next day we looked at converting outbuildings, outbuildings on the farm and we decided that wasn't going to be the way forward. We were going to go for a completely new new build. So that was the starting point. So um, then we looked at, at how we were going to do it. We knew we wanted to steam cook the vegetables because obviously the retention of the vitamins was absolutely paramount. And we looked at the price of steam cookers and thought, there's no way this company is going to start with the prices of machinery. So Martin and a really good friend of ours, the one that had the party, um, who's a brilliant entrepreneurial engineer, got their heads together. And between them, they designed and made our very first cooker, which um, was really key to the to the quality because we wanted to produce real food, you know, with the taste and texture of real real food as you as you would have at home or as your granny used to make. Yeah. So that was really, really key to the start. And we've um, replicated that cooker um, since, you know, just with a few modifications. So then we, we hired, a, once we got the, uh, the recipes and the products sorted, we hired a van and went to our local independent stores, ones that we would use ourselves and said, is there any chance they would try Mash Direct on their shelves and see how we got on? And they were delighted to support us, which was you know, really, really key to the, the, the initial start of this. And we also went into St. George's Market because we needed to meet consumers and get feedback. Tastings have been absolutely paramount to Mash Direct brand. You know, taste, taste, taste. People got to know us as a family and we got immediate feedback from themselves. And that's how we've really learnt about um, what we need to do. And that's really it was through tastings that we the whole company went gluten-free after a number of years. We just got so many inquiries. And, you know, I said to Martin, I said, we're going to have to look at this. There's so many people are, you know, are not able to consume some of our products because of this. And we turned the whole thing around. We re revised all our in initial recipes so people wouldn't really have known the difference. But everything is now gluten-free, everything we produce. Even the beer for our beer batter chips is gluten-free. <laughs> every, every single thing. Wow. So, so that was basically that. And then the, the boys, we've got two sons. Lance joined the company in 2008. So he'd done an honours degree in agri-food business and marketing in Shropshire. Um, so that was a phenomenal um, you know, surge of new interest, young blood, energy coming into Maastricht. And Jack came in in 2012, four years after Lance. He'd read... Um, and honors, he'd done honors in history and sociology. He was going to be a journalist um, <laughs> at Trinity, Wise and then to go into the food business instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, he went at, into he went to SOAS and did a um, master's in diplomacy and international relations. Wow! So, which was phenomenal. So, both boys have done extremely well in their own in their own right, and they both chose to join us, Martin and I. So that was really exciting for us and they brought the energy they brought social media into the company which was really really key and is extremely key today social media is a massive part of our marketing so that that's really how it all happened and awards david i mean awards have been phenomenally important for the brand um, our very first awards were nifta northern Ireland food and drink association our local awards and that put us on the map and from then on there have been great taste awards quality awards um this year, we won the Great British Food Award for the UK, Family Growing Business, 
But the, the Great Taste Awards, as um, you know, are blind tasted. People don't know who has produced the products. So they've been really, really important. And we have them you know, ex- um, displayed on every pack that we have. Because if you see an award-winning product as against to a non-award-winning product, you know, which one would you go for? And a, re- a real pat on the back, I'm sure. It's, it's, it's probably very, uh, it gives you a lot of pride when you, when you get awards like that after all your hard work. Yeah, and they're, they're very hard-earned. Um, people think, oh, awards, are, they're easy. They Believe me, they are not. I mean, there's so much effort goes into all our new product development. It's very much the lifeblood of the company. Um, and we are very driven um, and very... Ex- ex- uh, we're watching you know, the, the trends and always thinking ahead. So we're, you know, we're very extremely innovative company and to be recognised for that innovation and quality is, is phenomenal. Um, Tracy, I'm, I'm really interested in uh, to know, I mean, you've got, come such a long way and I imagine your product range in those early days has, has expanded beyond belief. Um, but what was it like scaling the business over that time? Because you, you really have, you know, the growth has been, been phenomenal. Well, seven days a week, <laughs> flat out. So we're all totally involved. Um, I think always striving to innovate and automate you know, to, to speed up processes um, and be tighter, just you, uh, that, that's been really, really important, just keeping everything really tight and efficiencies. We're always focusing on efficiencies as, as any, any business has to, but just for that sheer scaling was really important. And, and, and getting the right team on board. You know, we have a very strong uh, leadership team and getting the right members of the team and our people strategy is to nurture an environment of shared values, passion and success. So um, we have a very loyal and very driven um, team and the communication within the company, David, in the last number of years, um, internal communication is so much stronger than it's been because we've, we value everybody's views and everybody is um, given the opportunity to, to speak up and their voice is heard. They can do it anonymously or whatever platform they want to use but you know we respect every single person that comes in to have a to have a, an opinion and we listen to everybody and i think that's really important so everyone shares in the success and, and presumably a lot of those people have been with you for a long time as well yes yes absolutely and also a lot of training we've done an awful lot of training from senior leadership level um right down uh that's been really really important um so we've invested a lot in courses and and upskilling yeah, where, where possible. And, and it must have been, I mean, to, to go from, from farming to, to suddenly being in charge of so many people must have been an interesting transition. Massive learning curve. Um, I read business studies at university. And then even even after that, I did an awful lot of courses myself, night classes before, you know, in the early days of the company, just to upskill myself because, you know, you know by, by doing ECDL, you know, with all the computer courses and just being able to be, um, be involved otherwise it you know the whole thing would become totally alien so yes but yeah a massive learning curve but very very exciting and yeah you, it, we're a very driven family um, but it, I don't think anyone could ever comprehend the hours that we are putting in but you never do in your own business you, you don't see it um, but but it's it's very full-on at all times yeah I can only imagine and and you mentioned there that that family is is central to, to the business uh, and we're looking in, in, in this episode at, at some other family businesses as well has it helped running the business as a family it obviously has because you know the, the boys have come back and have been working so hard what kind of challenges and opportunities do you see uh, of being in a family business 
Um, well, I think the opportunities are there's a lot of trust in a family business and people respect that. You know, there's a lot of respect for family businesses. Um, and I think that's really important and very much the strength. We've all got our different skill sets. We're, very, we're all very different. But yet, you know, collectively, um, it's a very strong um, gel with everybody. Long-term planning. You know, we're not planning for the short term. We're, you know, we're, we're planning for genera- you know, the next generation to take on. And that's really important. Um, passing on the entrepreneurial mindset, you know, just because um, entrepreneurial is the DNA of of the business, and that's a, a, that's important. Um, we have to be careful as a family that it doesn't consume our all day, every day conversations. Um, we need to have you know family time, your fat, normal family uh, gatherings and things, um, and you know, that Maastricht isn't discussed all the time. Yeah. But what we found is um, we have, from the first year, we had a non-executive chairperson. And that was really important. That was very early days. That was when it was Martin and myself, just to help us through challenging questions that we wouldn't ask ourselves. And we have continued with that. We now have four non-executives on our board, and they are absolutely phenomenal. Total respect for I mean, they are... Um, business leaders with considerable experience in you know, with financial, de- you know, everything, every sort of leadership, and they um, have been you know, a really good sounding board. And I think that is has been you know very much part of our growth and given us confidence because you know we wouldn't approach difficult things ourselves. It would be too difficult. You know, it's so much easier to have other people um, suggest with suggest- suggestions and their their input. But I think the most important thing is communication. If we, if everyone communicates, you know, in the family, and there's no surprises, communication is absolutely key. And respect. I think everyone has to respect everyone and has sometimes different views, and we talk through it. And you know, we do have our own, you know, shareholding meetings just so we can get away from the factory and you know, discuss things openly and honestly at all times. Some really good advice there, Tracy, for family businesses, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of people working in whether it's farms or whether it's in in, in other types of businesses will, will really resonate with. I, I want to talk about innovation because in in Mash Direct that's something that seems to be really important because you know this you you have new products coming online um, that that we've seen over the years as a lot of us have followed the brand. Um, how important is innovation to a business like yours? Ooh, the lifeblood. It's been really, really important. Um, we're always looking for something slightly different. And even yeah, uh, Martin's a great one for uh, watching the vegetables and you know, has ideas with new vegetables. He's the one that thought of the red cabbage and beetroot product. Great all year round, especially at Christmas. But um, it's no, it's been a phenomenal. It's won so many awards. It's been fantastic. And Martin says that was always that was his idea. Um, so always looking at vegetables, just slightly different. You know, just. Um, and, and trialing and, and watching just the trends and trying to be one step ahead um, of the growing because because we are an agile company, because we can grow, we're in control literally from the seed that's sourced right through the growing and harvesting. So we and that's been really important to us to have that control so we can be we can trial things ourselves to see how they work um, before we put things into full production. But and we invest in the right people. You know, we get we um, chefs who come and you know, we we do the initial trials and get the, get feedback from within the company. Um, everybody has an opportunity to suggest recipes or suggest products, and then we'll trial them. And we quite often get chefs in just to get their 
tweak and then um, we can upscale it from there. I'd love to know about some of the, the products that you um, you perhaps have, have not has not made it onto the supermarket shelves, but I, will, I won't put you under pressure to name some of those. <laughs> it's always good to know about the things that didn't make it. Um, Tracy, uh, you, this last year has been a really difficult one for businesses of all sizes and in all sectors um, because of COVID-19, obviously. Um, what's it been like for, for MASH Direct? Goodness, well, we were watching what was happening throughout the rest of the world. And the minute we knew it was it was coming, Jack was very quick to say, right, everyone out of the company, everyone out going to ho- go home and work from home where possible. So we um, got them set up with laptops and things. Uh, just paramount, the safety of all our staff was absolutely paramount. And then um, we, oh gosh, we, we've, Instead of facial, we use facial scanning instead of hand scanning coming in on entry. We do temperature tests. We've got um, sanitizers everywhere. We've got additional canteens. We've got segregation of departments. So there's no interconnecting so that people are like, segregated. So if there's any issue in anywhere, it's not going to spread throughout the whole company. Perspex screens, two meter spacing, um, open doors where possible. Um, it just just getting the place safe. We wanted to have the confidence of everybody to, to feel they were comfortable coming into work. And um, Jack actually won an award for that. He won the lockdown leader in the National Business Awards in the UK for his input into our, how we responded. So it was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal what we did. And so quickly, again, just the agility. We had the right team and we literally turned the place around overnight to make it safe. Yeah, and I'm sure a, a year like like you've never experienced before. Um, yes, it, yeah, it was it was pretty shocking. You know, literally, we lost all our food service business overnight, which was a real you know, it was phenomenal because food service is a big part of the company. Um, and then retail spiked for those few weeks at the beginning, so it was just all hands on deck, and we had to employ a lot of new people initially just to cope with the the demand in the retail um, sector. And then we were also uh, had an e-commerce um, that obviously people are looking to get food delivered to their ha- their houses. So our e-commerce um, delivery system you know, uh, suddenly was of you know, great importance to us. And then we turned that into an opportunity for people. We wanted to um, feed the heroes. So people were able to buy our Mash Direct boxes and at a much reduced rate and supply into the um, NHS um for pe- for the yeah for the um for the nurses and doctors and things to get a selection to go home with so that was really important so i think there's about um about three and a half thousand packs went into feed the heroes so just you know, we were trying to do what we could as we thought what can we do as a company and this is what um we ha- had an idea and it was very very um well re- received and people were able to help contribute to that as well so it's such a nice idea and such a, such a nice thing for you to be able to help out at a, at a critical time um, as well. Um, and Master X come such a long way. I, I uh, We talked about before, I, I passed, uh, I, I'm passing you at one of your fields every day at the moment on the way to, to, to nursery with my daughter, um, where you're lifting carrots. Um, the, the business uh, really has gone from strength to strength. So I suppose that the only question really is what, what next for, for Mash Direct? Because, you know, the future... Um, obviously holds huge potential for you? Ooh, well, we're absolutely focused on sustainability. Um, I mentioned earlier about the quality of the soil and the crop rotation, how the, the, we've got to keep the health in the soil. But we're also looking um, at solar panels. 
We want to be carbon zero. That is the aim as soon as we possibly can. So we're looking at the solar panels, um, the carbon capture. We're doing a lot of tree planting. Um, we're currently converting the remainder of the factory to LED lighting. We're installing charge points for electric vehicles. That's going to be the next big thing, obviously. Um, and we're making sure that the supply to the factory has a, a smaller footprint and travel miles as possible because it's very much the relationship between the farm and the factory is really important and the distance it travels. But all, most of our vegetables are grown throughout the shores of Strangford Loch, so it's all, they're all very local, which is fat, so there's very little carbon footprint. So zero waste um, to landfill is another major focus in this. Um, so we've redeveloped our on-site recycling. And a couple of years ago, all our packaging, we went green for St. Patrick's Day. So all our trays went green. That was, that was, an, yeah, that was a lot of pressure to suddenly get away from black onto green trays in a very short space of time. But we achieved it. So that's, that's been phenomenal. And food waste, we're looking at food waste. We supply any surplus food to Fair Share, which is really important. And then regarding water, we have invested in a recycling plant because we want to reduce our demand on the environment with water recycling. So utilising all our water and recycling it through. And also rainwater. We're recapturing all our rainwater and using it. And regarding plastic, we're looking at ways to reduce our use of plastic through alternatives. So it's, yeah, it's full on, but that's, that's our focus in a very big way. And then also... Um, the way we farm, um, I'm very involved in the areas of the farm that sit, sit for the bees. You know, uh, so we're lots of nectar and pollen mix and wild bird cover for overwintering birds, you know, bird food. So just, yeah, we're always, you know, looking at every aspect of the, of, of the farm and the business to see what we can do to make a difference ourselves. But that's our massive focus. Um, Tracy, really interesting to talk to you and, and a really interesting um, rundown of the business and, and how it's it's got here and, and where it's going um, so I, again I'd just like to thank you for taking the time um, I, we, we look forward to seeing Master Echo from strength to strength because it really is uh, a, a story of a business that, that I've been following for some time and it's great to see see you've come so far so thank you again and we'll, we'll hopefully chat soon thank you very much indeed we're just eight, we're now we just aim to be the number one brand in the chill side dish category in the UK and Ireland <laughs> I, I can imagine that that will be that will be ticked off very soon. Quite a story there from Tracy, and one which will no doubt grow and grow. Next, we're going to chat to Susan Smith from KPMG. She advises family-owned businesses throughout Northern Ireland on a daily basis, and gave me some time from her busy schedule to talk through some of the challenges and opportunities that this vital sector of the economy faces. My name is Susan Smith and I'm a director in the private client team in KPMG Belfast. And we are a team of 15 tax professionals and we advise a wide range of clients, including entrepreneurs, high net worth individuals, property investors and family businesses. And we work closely with both small and large Northern Irish family businesses. And those businesses cover sectors which are important to the Northern Ireland economy such as construction, agri-food, engineering and pharmaceutical. And our work uh, generally combines assistance in relation to family matters, such as inheritance tax 
and also business matters such as profit extraction and owners exiting their business. So Susan, you're working with lots of family-owned businesses on a day-to-day basis. What, in your opinion, are the advantages that they have over other businesses? I think the key strength which we see is in that word family. And that gives the business unique aspects because time and time again, we see families working as a unit, all striving together for the success of that business. And families are often intrinsically connected with their business. And we see this in areas such as their emotional attachment to the business. To build a lasting family enterprise means the family are more likely to put in the extra hours and effort needed to make it a success. We've seen the renewal of family bonds through the renewal of family bonds through successive generations of family members being involved in the business, and also the identification of the family with the business, such as having the family name as part of their brand. We also see incredible stability in those businesses because knowing that you're building for future generations in your family can really encourage the long-term thinking that is needed for growth and success. And from a financial aspect, we can see decreased costs. Family members may be more willing to make financial sacrifices for the sake of that family business. And we've seen family members accepting lower pay than they would get elsewhere in the business in the longer term um, or deferring wages during a cash flow crisis. A lot of uh, positives there for family-owned businesses, but what are the challenges on the other side of the coin that they face? Well, some of the strengths of the family business that I have already mentioned can unfortunately be challenges as well. Stability can become stifling where it creates an inability to react to change. And you can have a situation where the next generation have great ideas and want to become involved but the founder or older generation are wanting to remain at the helm and continue to steer the business in their way. And of course, conflict can arise in any business, but sadly disputes within a family business can become personal as the family are working with people closest to them. And those bad feelings and resentment could destabilise the business operations and more unfortunately put family relations at risk. We've sometimes found that the family can find it difficult to be objective when promoting staff and they need to consider whether they should promote the best person for the job, whether they are relative or not. And it is important to make business decisions for business reasons rather than solely personal ones. And this can be particularly difficult if family members are involved. And there's also the succession planning point. Many family business owners may find it difficult to to decide who will be in charge of the business if they were to step down. And the current family member in charge must really try and determine who can best take the business forward and also aim to reduce the potential for future conflict. And that can be a really daunting and emotional decision to make. Um, you, you mentioned succession planning. What advice do you give when it comes to succession planning, which is you know it's a, often a difficult issue for family-owned businesses? It is, and succession planning is a topical issue for us at the moment in general, because unfortunately the global pandemic has caused people to look at their potential inheritance tax exposure and to maybe accelerate plans for passing on wealth to the next generation. Looking specifically at the family business sector, I mean, a transition in ownership and leadership of a family business 
is probably going to entail the senior generation letting go and the next generation being able and willing to step up to the mark. The senior generation may be anxious about pushing the next generation into making decisions and the next generation may be reluctant to be seen to pushing their seniors out of the way. And it's really important that everybody has a clear understanding of what they want themselves. And, you know, it can take a bit of time for this to become clear, but it would be really time well spent since the next generation could be living with the outcome of the succession planning for the rest of their lives. And what we find is a well-planned succession strategy makes everyone feel less threatened about entering the process. And some steps that we've seen that have been helpful for family businesses are start early. You know, handing a family business to the next generation is a major process from selecting and developing the successors, protecting the brand, reputation and retaining knowledge. So as the generations prepare to pass the business on, they need to make sure that the family's passion for and involvement in the business remains. So starting early means you don't try to do too much too quickly and also it avoids the whole process having to be revisited if outstanding questions weren't dealt with properly during the first time. It can also help to break the issue down into small projects. It's not just who will run the business when the current generation step down but a much broader perspective is needed. You, you need to consider where the business is in its life cycle and what kind of leader or leaders it needs to progress. And the founder or current owner will also need to consider what aspect of the business are they seeking to hand over and when? Is it management? Is it control? Is it ownership? And who will take on those roles? Like in any business area, communication is absolutely critical. Uh, you know, family members may assume they're in line to take on the leadership position and the family needs to balance what the business needs with the aspirations of family members. Family members can bring different skill sets to different areas of the business, but it's just important that everybody communicates and is open and honest where possible. The family should also consider protecting their brand because it's really important to retain the essence of the family business and perhaps during the succession planning, consider how can the business be modernised? Uh, the nominated future leaders should enter the business long before succession actually takes place. So those successors can start building a rapport with clients and also preserve the ties to the business through this change in generations. We would also maybe recommend staggering the process so it's not a sudden shock. I mean, sons and daughters of the founder can start to become key executives and directors over time and they can be held accountable in different parts of the business. And finally we would advise documenting the plan. You know, once you have decided on your succession plan the founder should break all the aspects down and not just set out instructions for an example in a will that could simply lead to confusion and dispute which wouldn't be in the interests of the family or the business. Some really good points and advice there, Susan. Um, finally, what kind of insights would you give to your clients in terms of running and growing a family business? To build a sustainable family business that really survives and prospers through changes in generation, 
means balancing the need to preserve the family's connection with and passion for the business with the economic needs of the business. And this can lead to really difficult and emotional conversations. And sometimes the right decision is the hardest one to make. And it's important for the owners of the family business to put in place a plan to manage wealth in a way that recognising you know, that the profits that are accumulating through the daily activities of the business is different to preserving wealth for future generations. And both those goals need to be carefully managed. What we have seen that um, when considering putting in place a financial plan, some factors the family could look at would be to conduct a regular analysis of the business current resources and each family member's current and future needs. Making sure the family take advice to help them handle the, the legalities and technicalities of managing the business's resources and taking the time to ensure that advisors understand the dynamics of the family and their financial position so that advisors can help the family achieve their goals. I think long term as well, because preserving family wealth can become more difficult as time goes on and you have a wider extended family. And families can perhaps consider establishing some sort of family arrangement or trust structure instead of family drawing funds directly from the business. We've also seen factors such as divorce or unfortunate mismanagement of funds or anticipated situations such as economic downturns have devastating implications for family finances if the appropriate safeguards aren't in place. We've also seen our clients really value retaining legacy knowledge because succession just doesn't concern leadership and finances, but the knowledge that the family has learned through trial and errors over the years. And if possible, that should be documented or communicated through the business so it can become a competitive advantage. Families could also consider setting up a board of directors within the business. That includes family members and non-family members. And we've seen clients appoint a non-family member, non-executive director in a business to bring an additional perspective to that family business. And it has worked really well. And structures like this provide a forum for the governance of the business and decision making while balancing the interests of the family. And it can be a really valuable tool for managing family disputes in a fair and objective manner. And what I would say is that even during the pandemic we are in, we have seen family businesses show enormous tenacity and resilience, and they have been able to dig deep to adapt to the new reality. And so those family businesses clearly are stepping up to the challenge of navigating that fine balance between the needs of the business and those of the family. Susan, thanks so much. Um, some really interesting points that you raised there, um, and I know that'll be really helpful for, for a lot of listeners. So thank you for your time today, and we'll chat again soon. No problem. Thank you. Some really important insights there from Susan, which will no doubt be of interest to family companies of all sizes. Finally, we move down the road to Bambridge, to Blackwell House, run by husband and wife team Steve and Joyce Brownless. It's a luxury guest house which specializes in providing some of the finest dining sourced from the local food heartland. 
They also run a cookery school and have recently pivoted the business to offer takeaway luxury afternoon teas. I caught up with Joyce to find out why she cherishes locally produced food. Joyce, first of all, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today because I know you've been incredibly busy um, putting together some afternoon teas this morning. First of all, first, can you can you give us a bit of a background on Blackwell House? We opened Blackwell House about eight years ago. Um, both of us had worked in a, if you like, the corporate world. I my last job was in Vodafone, head of talent and development. So you might fi- might say, my goodness, what an odd step to make. Uh, but we both had really, well, I suppose you could call it a dream, dreamt of doing something like this. And uh, I was doing a bit of house hunting and found Blackwell House, fell in love with it. And I really thought it, it would be the perfect spot. It, we opened as a luxury guest house. And within three months, we'd achieved our uh, five star status, which we were blown away with. And we've we've just gone on to win so many awards since then. Uh, we the last few awards we've won, I should add, before lockdown, was the best guest house in Ireland, and uh, and also the best Irish breakfast in Ireland. So, you know, we we feel we have, yeah, a really good base to build our business. We have grown from three rooms to six rooms. But believe it or not, we were just ready to open the six rooms for our summer season last April when, of course, we went into lockdown. So <laughs> so we still haven't got up and got going um, with uh, our six room business. Right from the very beginning, uh, food it has been incredibly important to us. Both of us are total foodies, which is part of why we love being in this business. And we just, nothing we enjoy better than, you know, finding new products, thinking of recipes that we can use with them and how we can serve these to our guests. And uh, also, by the way, we enjoy eating also. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Steve continued on working in uh, the corporate world. He was head of Gagano, and that is a, a very high-end product, uh, ovens, kitchens, etc. To be fair, the sort of thing that we couldn't afford if it wasn't for the fact that he worked there. He has joined the business about a year ago. He, of course, brings all of his skills in working in a luxury business to Blackwell House and so we're both now working together although admittedly our first year has been rather peculiar. It certainly has and uh, I want to delve into that that and the food side of it shortly. What, what was it like first of all going from the corporate world to your own business? What was that first day like when you started off it, on your own business? Oh my goodness incredibly scary. I had taken the opportunity 
to do as many courses as possible. And, you know, there are a huge amount of courses out there for people wanting to open their own business. And a lot of them are provided by local councils. And I took advantage of that and honestly went on every single course I could possibly go on. And a you know, created a business plan, did everything that I should have done. We went live uh, with our website and went live on uh, some of the booking platforms. And the very next day, there was a little buzz on my phone, which was indicating that we'd had our first booking. And in fact, they were coming the following day. So, I went into uh, one of the local food stores and I am not joking, I filled my trolley with food. Now, if that businessman had stayed with me a month, he wouldn't have eaten all the food. <laughs> and uh, and then his, his uh, secretary phoned me the next morning and asked, could he stay for dinner as well? Well, <laughs> do you know something? <laughs> it was so ridiculous. You'd have thought I'd never cooked in my life. And, uh, and I paced up and down and watched for him to appear. And, and it, actually, it's quite funny. Of course, he didn't know that he was my first customer. It was beautiful weather. So he sat outside in the gardens and I welcomed him in. I, he, I, he was late, so I asked him, did he still want to eat? He said, would it be okay with the kitchen, not knowing that I was cooking? So I took him up to his room, carried his case up. Then I went down and changed into my chef's gear. He came down and uh, I showed him, went and showed him the menu. And anyway, obviously cooked his dinner, took this out to him. And he remarked in the gardens and he said, um, these gardens are absolutely fabulous. He said, you must have a gardener. And I said, no, I do the gardens myself. <laughs> so I'm sure this man thought I was absolutely superwoman. Um, and after that, it oh my goodness, it, it just surprised us so much because yeah. it grew and grew and uh, it, it just blew us away. It blew us away. And food, as you say, has always been at the heart of that business. And I've talked to some people who, who've who've been with you, and they they rave about the food. Why is that such an important part of your offering? Do you know many years ago, and I'm not going to tell you how many. <laughs> that'll, that'll be that'll be letting out too many secrets. Yeah. Uh, my mum always said that when she was baking in the kitchen. I used to pull up a stool and stand beside her and help her bake. Uh And so I can honestly say that food has, it's in my soul. And I have baked breads, baked cakes, uh, etc. from that moment. When I was old enough to start cooking dinners and all sorts of things, I went on every cookery course you could imagine. Um, Oh, I also did what was called domestic science at that stage in university. Um, And I initially, many years ago, when microwaves became the big thing, 
I demonstrated cooking in microwave ovens and literally went round the whole of Ireland from north, south, east and west demonstrating these microwaves. So there's always been a wee bit of food there. And when I worked in my London office, uh, as uh, I used to, to say, this London executive, I always said, do you know what? I should be baking shortbread and making jam. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, food has, yeah, food is in my soul. And I just come from a family of foodies and I married a foodie. So there you are. So, Joyce, what what can we expect? I mean, one of the big big things that everybody says about Blackwell House is that you're really keen on using local ingredients. Why is that kind of provenance so important to you as well? Well, that's an easy question to ask. We have fabulous uh, produce on our doorstep. Uh, I know it's become fashionable to talk about this now, but you know what? It's always been there. We've always had fantastic meat, fantastic dairy products, beautiful vegetables, uh, and, and it's all there. And I don't think as a, if you're a fair nation of people, that we realise how lucky we are. I have guests arriving from America, from Canada, from Australia, etc. And they're amazed at our countryside. They're amazed at our butter. They're, they're just amazed with all of this. And I just don't think we appreciate it enough. So the choice is easy. It's just the best. And if you cook with the best, you're going to end up with fabulous tasting food. Um, I want to I want to I want to touch on on something which which we've been talking about in this podcast is um, family businesses. What what's it like? Steve came back and uh, and has worked for you, with you for the last year. What's it been like working with your with your husband? We work together. We both have a different set of skills. It was very difficult for me to run the business on my own. And would have been virtually impossible when we added the other three rooms because I was doing both front of house and back of house. Now, of course, I had staff uh, who were working with me and fantastic, fantastic people. But the essence of Blackwell House is the relationships we have with our guests. So I would have found myself in the kitchen trying to cook, then outside trying to chat to our guests and I was back and forward and and to be fair that that was a a testing time uh Steve just we both love people we're but we both love chatting to people we both love meeting new people and so now I'm able to uh think uh spent my time in the kitchen and um which kind of doesn't sound too nice but I love it. I really love working with food. And Steve does front of house. Now, I have to say, it's not that I don't come out (laughs) of the kitchen and have a chat sometimes. And often I can hear his conversation with guests and I can't help myself, (laughs) but come out and and kind Uh of uh, poke my head in. (laughs) But, uh, But no, it works really well. And we both enjoy it, and there's a lot of banter between us. 
um, you know, while we're delivering breakfasts or evening meals Super. or whatever. And and Steve uh, came on board as you as you mentioned at a at an inauspicious time. Um, I suppose this time last year. The, the, I mean, it must have been difficult for you when the, the the business was forced to close for a while. But since then, you have what they use in, in management parlance, pivoted um, into a new line of afternoon teas. We have uh, obviously the yes, as you say, Steve had only just uh, joined me in the business when we were forced to close, and it was incredibly scary. And we decided. Uh, Kind of, we sat a couple of weeks in shock and then we wondered, okay, what can we do? So we decided that we would offer our afternoon teas, which we, we, you know, do throughout the year, but people normally come to us at Blackwell House. So we decided we would find out if anyone was interested in having an afternoon tea delivered or would they like to come and collect it? And so we sat about finding out how we would present this afternoon tea, um, you know, and I wanted it to be a proper afternoon tea, exactly like the afternoon tea we provide people uh, with when they come to visit. And that in itself was difficult because it would have to be personally delivered. So I'm afraid it's it's really local. We can't deliver it any further. But we went out on Facebook and we also contacted the, the uh, people who had been with us for afternoon tea before. And, oh, my goodness, we were inundated, absolutely inundated. And... In just, I think, three weeks, we um, did about 400 afternoon oh, teas. That's a lot. And and I think everybody was just so delighted to have something to make them yeah. smile on an afternoon in the middle of lockdown. And so it, it was fabulous. And so it kept us busy through lockdown. And we're now doing the same again during this lockdown. Such passion for produce really shines through when talking to Joyce. And I can't wait to try some of her dishes in the very near future. With that, our second episode of the Fifth Border podcast comes to a close. I hope you've enjoyed it. And please do get in touch if you want to tell us your agri-food story. I'd like to thank Armagh City, Banbridge and Craigavon Borough Council's Food Heartland for their support once again, and also to all our contributors for their time. Thank you to you for listening and look out for next month's episode. 